This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Anna Perna. And Anna Perna was in a relationship with a gaslighting physical abuser. It's a story of being seen, victim playing, identity erosion, and physical abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Anna Perna. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Anna Perna is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today you're going to hear Anna Perna's story and a big content warning for this story as we do discuss physical abuse in two parts of this story and they are graphic descriptions of physical abuse. So please be aware of that and that is your content warning for this episode. And, uh, you know, I just a really big thanks to Anna Perna for being here and now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Anna Perna. The floor is now yours. Thank you. Um, so I guess we'll start about me. I grew up in Southern Arizona. I was extremely lucky to grow up in a two-parent household. My parents were together for over 30 years. I'm technically the baby of the family, and I'm still technically an only child. Um, I have a different mother and my two older brothers and my older sister. I grew up in a stable home. Um, I think we only moved like uh, once, twice, uh, moving out and moving back in. That's when our home was being built. I, I didn't really miss school unless I was sick or I had a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. Um, but I never really struggled in school I was in gifted programs up until high school, and that led me to taking AP classes. And I was very artistic, um, honor roll, leadership, stuff like that. And I grew up watching 80s action movies. Um, so The Terminator to this day is my, my favorite movie. Um, I'm half Native American and half Mexican, so a lot of those values, they really played out in my life even now up until this point. Not very religious, but very spiritual. So I'm kind of that 
whole Mother Earth and Father Son, my DNA is the Earth and Sky kind of belief. Um, I grew up playing outside in the desert, always in the dirt, uh, riding by quad, camping. We were always traveling. We were always out in nature, stuff like that. Um, I played sports, I joined clubs, and I wasn't too rebellious, um, but there were times that I got into trouble. Um, my father was strict. He was uh, in the Navy um, before they had me. Um, when I got older into my teen years, uh, we kind of bumped heads here and there, but I guess that's pretty much because we were so much alike. Um, my mom cooked home meals from scratch seven days a week. So it wasn't until I was about 20 years old that I discovered instant mashed potatoes, potatoes from a box. Uh, so that's how I grew up. I kind of have that um, activist heart, and I always fight for the underdog, fired up at social injustices, and believe that balance is, is necessary in everything. So I grew up in a kind of a rough part of town. I spent four years in high school uh, in JROTC. That led me to joining the Army about a year and a half after I graduated high school. I'm an Army combat veteran. I was deployed in Iraq. I did have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I continue treatment, been years of treatment, years of therapy. And I've always been a little bit unique. I'm a bit of a metalhead, a dog, a dog lover, and independent. So I just have that. You know, deep down, I just, you know, I want to love everybody so much, so hard. And, you know, I'm kind of person or like even the kind of mother that will move mountains for, for people. If I, if I, if I think I can do it, I'll find a way to do it. Through the goal, uh, when I was a lot younger, maybe at like, yeah, my early 20s, mid 20s, I used to, I used to be very angry. Um, just that things that weren't balanced, uh, and after my divorce, um, from my ex-husband that this is not about, um, I really worked on changing my mindset and how I was reacting to things because I, for whatever reason, and maybe that has to do with the PTSD, um, but that took years of work and I did really, really well at it and changed a lot of things about my mindset and the way I handle things. And um, so that was a lot of work. Um, what was the biggest thing you had to change? I had to look at other people's uh, perspective and like put, my, put myself in their shoes and see how, you know, like, hey, this could be thought of this way this is a different perspective this is a different perspective and if I was in their shoes I might think like that too so just considering other people's opinions and things along those lines would you say that at that time your PTSD your trauma was had taken over to the point where you were reacting to everything from that person from the trauma perspective at that time um, I believe it, it did have a lot to do with it. And that's when 
I was living in Las Vegas at the time. And that's when I started seeking treatment at the VA there. And that started um, my VA treatment that still, still continues to this day on a regular basis. So I think a lot of that therapy really, really helped. And it helped calm me down significantly, like almost like a 180. So yeah, I believe therapy can help everybody. I've been a single mom since I was 18. So, so a good chunk of my life, I have, I really didn't have anybody to rely on, nobody that's taking care of me or anything like that. If I want something, I focus, I get it, like find my home, like find my, I love forerunners. So I bought my forerunner, getting my education, my children. They're my life. I have three children, you know, we're the kind of family that gets their dogs dressed up for Halloween and we have birthday parties for them every year. And my home, we have structure. We eat dinner at the table every night, almost every night. No phones. We talk, we connect. And I've been in about three abusive relationships. Uh, those were mostly physical. They were short-lived. And my ex-husband, uh, he raised my oldest son, and we have two kids together. Um, so I've been a bartender for about 15 years, up until probably about a year ago. So I'm a social butterfly uh, to an extent, and I'll remember your drink before I remember your name, and I can tell you a joke or two, and, you know, I do have my flaws. Um, I was an addict for years. I'm clean now. And that's always a, always going to be a lifelong struggle. And I am not perfect, but yeah, in some ways that like I'm still in Iraq. So yeah. So your story or the person that this story is about, it's one of those stories where you met them earlier in your life and then eventually you reconnected with them. So I guess take us through you know, the first meeting uh, that you had, which was in 2004, when you were on deployment in Iraq? Yes. So we met when we were deployed in, in Iraq. We were basically the second deployment through. Um, we were in the same unit. I had gone a little bit later than some of my unit. And I just remember uh, seeing him here and there and, you know, we kind of catch eyes and smile at each other, you know, kind of one of those things like from a distance, all the ladies, they, they thought he was so handsome and so very charming. Everybody had a crush on him and he was, he was, he was attractive and, and passing, we would smile away somehow, some way. Uh, we got to chatting one day and he asked me if I wanted to hang out and watch a movie and, I said, okay, you know, why not? And on that night, uh, we didn't get very far into the movie at all because he just passed out. I, you know, didn't know what was going on. And so I just kind of got up and, you know, like, I'm going to let this guy sleep. After that, that was that. Um, he told me later on that I guess he had been taking some sort of pill. I wasn't, I don't, I don't know what they were. Um, after that, I used to go and 
<laughs> borrow CDs from him. I guess that gives away my age a little bit, but um, I used to borrow CDs from him and we chat um, about nothing in particular. And that's as far as it ever went. And then through the years, there were exchanges of happy birthdays and very, very, very short conversations um, through social media, um, Facebook. And that was that was about, about the extent of that that meeting that time. So eventually you end up moving back to your hometown and you buy a home. And this person reaches out to you in July of 2019. He had also moved back to his hometown, which was one state over. And he starts to play the victim and tell you about his evil ex who cheated on him, how that person drained his bank account. And you got to hear about all of his exes being crazy and even his co-workers not really liking him so much. So how did you feel about all of this information, this victim playing, when you heard it? It's broken and depressed, and we ended up having several conversations. We ended up talking for a long time. The calls just multiplied and became longer. Text turned into voice calls, and that turned into video calls. And I just wanted to make him smile because he, you know, he was going through a really rough time. And, you know, I just wanted him to forget that he was in that bad place. And so here I am. I'm believing him because I had no reason not to believe him. You know, why would somebody lie about any of that, right? So I'm thinking, oh, this this poor guy, you know, all he wants is to be loved. And, and how could he just have such a streak of bad luck? At the same time, it was almost like I was, these feelings were rising inside me, like, if anybody can love him right, like, it could be me. And this was after, like, several, you know, like, I don't know how many conversations, because, you know, I always had that little crush on him back then. So, you know, I could show him how beautiful it could be. And and I did for a while, I guess. So it wasn't good enough anymore, but. So. There's all these things going on where he's playing the victim and this fixer in you is really uh, getting involved that way and that you want to be this fixer for him and to show him all these things. But what is it that you like about him and what else is he doing besides discussing his traumas? or what he's saying are his traumas to kind of reel you in, what else is he doing that is making you feel seen or, um, you know, is, is he giving you the love that you thought you always wanted or always needed? Something along those lines? And there was building up to that. Um, he made me laugh. He made me laugh so much. Um, I had never laughed like that with anybody. And it was just almost like it was constant. Every day was laughter. And um, he was easy to talk to about anything, you know. And it wasn't always just about his traumas. It was just, you know, like what we had been doing from the time, the last time we saw each other to that point where we reconnected. And he just had this fascination, like, what have you done? And you've done this, you've done that. And you know, and, you know, how many kids do you have and, you know, stuff like that. And, but he was just, he was just charming and he, 
you know, he talked about all the things he wanted to do in life and it kind of, it kind of, uh, went on par with what I wanted to do and he wanted to travel. I wanted to travel and a good life for ourselves and for our families and stuff like that. And we, I mean, we could talk about anything, uh, everything, everything under the sun. Did he, did he seem impressed by you? Um, I think so. And I all, and I think he knew that I was impressed with him as well. Um, so it was kind of like a, like, like magnet, you know, like, like a magnet pulling me towards him, like kind of like the sun pulled the tide, I guess. And I liked that our, our outlooks on life kind of fit each other. You know, he was smart. He, you know, he was funny down to earth. Handsome, charming, loving, supportive. He was a professional, educated, and, you know, he appeared to have drive. He wanted everyone to see him as the good guy, the nice guy. Um, so you said before that there was a building up to being seen and the love. So can you explain that a bit more? I had been single for about a year and a half or two, and I had uh, began my education the year before, and I wasn't really I wasn't really looking for a relationship at all. I just didn't really think about it. But he had been paying paying me so much attention, and you know he acted so surprised with how I was as a person, especially as a mother. He always told me that of his attraction to me was the fact that I was a good mom. So I was basically a teen mom and no one ever hands you a book and says, here, here's the direction. You know, I've, I've always wanted to try to strive to be a good mom and dad, I guess, but no one ever told me if I was wrong or I needed work, I needed to do some work or, you know, so he let me know that I was doing something right in, in that aspect. And I love my children, and I suppose I needed some sort of validation that I was a good mom. Um, most other men in my past liked me because I was either pretty or sexier because others had interest in me or, you know, you know, shallow things like that. So for him to be attracted to me for that, you know, which was, you know, the well of the surface, you know, really meant something to me. And he told me I was a good mom and, you know, that I was smart, that I was driven, and it made me feel appreciated. And he would say things like, I should have never passed out that night in Iraq. We could have been together this whole time. I could have been a dad by now. This made me, you know, kind of feel special like that. He held on to that from all those years ago. So that, you know, that really played a big part into it. So between November and January, again, we spent a lot of time on the phone, video calls, and it just took up a lot of my time. And it, I, I started to see my, my grades suffering. Um, and then between January and March, uh, he flew to my hometown for a concert. And at that point, he just was there. He didn't leave. And he, and he pushed his flight back about four or five times and was just there. And he worked remotely from my my house. Um, he spoiled me. He, you know, he never 
like I had never had that much attention from someone consistently, you know, for a, an extended period of time, I guess. So that's a, that's a big thing, you know, cause you know, usually it's like you have that, that short honeymoon period, which was what I was used to. And this, you know, just carried on and it carried on and, you know, we got to know each other more and, and it felt like, I felt like he knew me and he knew everything about me, even my deepest, darkest secrets. And I trusted him. I really trusted him. You know, I, I have trouble trusting people. So, but him, it was just so easy. And I felt so comfortable with him. We could talk so freely about anything. And he, it, looked, it was like, he saw me for me and he loved me for it anyway. And, um, he encouraged me to, you know, keep going in school and, you know, if, Whatever came down to it, he was, you know, once my full nine eleven GI Bill expired, um, that he would help pay for the rest of my education, which I didn't, I didn't want to, I, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to hold him to it, but it's it, just the offer being there, you know, like it meant a lot. Um, I felt like he saw me and that I could be myself around him. So again, you know, continued and we talked for hours all the time. He observed every single detail about me, no matter what it was, like my mannerisms, everything. Like he knew me in and out. And little did I know he was just probably making medical notes to use things against me and, you know, um, in the future. But uh, finally, uh at some point in March, I believe, he flew back home. And not very long after that, I flew out to Houston. Um, and we spent the weekend together and, you know, flying everywhere. And um, my mother, midweek vacation in March, we actually flew out to Chicago in the middle of the week for dinner at um, a really uh, high-end restaurant. And we stayed for three days and we rented a beautiful high-rise Airbnb uh, that had windows from, from the floor to the ceiling. And we got dressed up and we went and had this amazing dinner. Food I've never, like, I've never tasted food like that in my life. Still to this day, that's probably one of the most beautiful trips I've ever, I've ever taken. Because it was just, it, to me, it felt just so, like, genuine. Um I had no reason to think that he didn't love me. You know, my only thought was, this is it. Like, he's, he's my person. Um, and then, you know, there were times where he got into a rut. I try to lift him up and reinforce all his wonderful attributes and tell him that he could conquer the world, you know. And it was just this constant dopamine all day, every day. And he basically made himself my addiction. Um, well, right here, you know, when it comes to the history of you two, you've known each other at this point in total about 15, 16 years because of when you initially met him in the army. Then you are now started off. It's probably been about a year at this point where you've had nothing but good. Early on, you have all of these, you know, ex-wife things, ex-girlfriend things, him, you know, not taking the blame for those types of things. But this is now a fully established year. 
this person has, you know, gone from, you know, you, you go from, you know, texting to phone calls to video calls to meeting in person to now he's in your space all of the time. And at this point, nothing, there's no reason to believe that this person is a bad person. You have a full year of like, oh, well, maybe a good time will happen. Or I can fix this. You know, this is just a blip. Look at, uh, there's a track record here. So if things start to show, it's going to be that much harder to, to leave or get out because he's done a very good job here as far as, you know, having you feel very loved and uh, getting addicted to him. And it's just this life that you've never had and this future that you want together with this person that, you know, maybe you thought you never were going to get. And now it is here. Yeah, um, he's definitely uh, laid that foundation very thick. Um, but yeah, and that brings us to the pandemic. And so the pandemic hit and he was just there, like there all the time almost. Eventually, when he did go back, uh, we start discussing him moving to Arizona. And next thing you know, like, he's moving. And at some point, something goes wrong with his car on the way. So I had to go and drive, pick him up in El Paso. And his car is towed to my house. Um, he just reeks of alcohol. And I'm like, whoa. You know, on the way back, I'm telling him, like, hey, you know, that it's not going to fly. Like that's not going to fly in my house. Like I, I have, I have children. Um, I start structure. I don't let drink at home, you know, especially for me being a bartender still at that time, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't really do that. And that's not going to fly. Um, other than that, I mean, if, you know, it was, it was just there all the time now. And I fell asleep, cuddled up on his chest every single night. He would say, come get in your spot. And, or like, I'd have a bad day or something. And I was stressed out. He'd tap his chest and be like, come get in your spot. And he would scratch my back until I fell asleep. Or, you know, it's, it's like he was a perfect rom-com boyfriend. He, you know, he was hilarious, a little clumsy, and sometimes naive. But, you know, like, there was times I cried with him. And, you know, I laughed with him so much. I, God, I laughed so much. You know, we held each other and stuff like that, you know, and I loved him a lot. I loved him so deeply. Um, he accepted who I was, you know, even though like I had, I have so many flaws. Um, but we were basically inseparable um, up until that point. Um, and I guess that leads us into our, our first fight. Um, you know, like we would have disagreements about stuff but those discussions were pretty good um but our very first fight you know escalation point for sure our first argument he he got highly upset because well he well he was taking me to you know following me to get my car um service and i looked in the rearview mirror and i just seen him yelling and screaming um at nobody in the car. Uh, we had just gone for breakfast and stopped at the bar that I was working at at the time and had a couple drinks and I had ran into an old friend of mine. And after that, it's like, whole demeanor changed. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that's about. On the ride back, he, uh, 
I asked him, I said, you know, what, what's going on? I know something's wrong. What's going on? And he got highly upset because I didn't tell him that friend that we had run into, I had slept with a while back like before I even started talking to him again. But I was still friends with them. And every now and then he, you know, just check up on me and say, hey, how you doing? You know, and that's it. This bothered him, even though I had nothing to do with him. It was before his time. Um, he just went off and he said, I lied to him and I, you know, I should have told him and he couldn't trust me. He, he threatened to leave me and I let him know that it was juvenile that he was acting like that. And he just went off and became really cruel, called me names. Um, I remember him being my in my face, like insulting me. I could feel it spit on my on the side of my face and I was just like, Whoa. And um it just turned into this huge fight and he would and that became a pattern of his where he would just like try to bait me into fights and where like he would get so close and in my ear that I would try to kind of push him off because it was all I could do. Um and that with his cue to like, all right, it's on now. Physical fight, there it is. Um, that's the first time he got me in a chokehold. Um, and I almost passed out because I, I couldn't get any oxygen, you know. And and here's this guy, you know, six two, uh, about two sixty, and you know, I'm over here fighting for mineral air, and I just remember, you know, like. I was so close to passing out. I had, you know, my vision was going black. And the only thing I can think to get out of it was just to, like, start swinging, like, up above and behind my head and hope that I made contact. And I did. And he let go. Um, and I tried to push him out of my room. And he refused to leave. And I was pissed. Turned into this huge fight. And it was just so devastating. And extremely mean when he got mean that way his words were like nice it's like it was like being stabbed in the heart it was just so horrible but he later turned that around on me and convinced me that i abused him so he would gaslight me into believing his word salad um and he convinced me that i had shoved him first and I had lost my mind, and the only way to get me to stop hitting him was to get me into a chokehold. And I would argue that, like, no, it didn't happen that way. Are you are you kidding me? And he kept on assuring me that that's how it happened, that's how it happened. And by the end of rehashing this at different times afterwards, I became more and more confused, and I began to, I began to question that reality, and so at that point, I was like, all right, like you're in my face all the time anyway. He's, you know, like, and after not being in a relationship for a while, it was like, I, I need some space. Um, so he ended up moving out and a few days passed and he just found a way to weasel back in an excuse to call me or talk to me and ask for my help. And, you know, not admitting what he did, but making me feel as if, I was abusive. Um, so how are you feeling? You know, you said you were confused. So are, are, 
is there any other feelings that you're attaching to everything going on? Like when he left and, and now you're kind of separated, obviously there's this confusion. Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling anxious? Do you want him back? Are you feeling sad? Um, what are all the things kind of going on here? Because, you know, this is a pretty big shock after a full year of, you know, chocolates and roses kind of a honeymoon period. Um, I was definitely confused. Um, I think that started that that was like start of like the that hazy, that that fog. Um and it just like it just escalated from there and I was I was so hurt. Like this is the same person like that clearly who was in my face was not the same person. And it just started this confusion. And and then I started questioning, like, did I do that? Like, am I abusive? Like, you know, he just pounded it into my head. And, um, and yeah, that was the start of that. And so, yeah, so he ended up uh, inviting me over for dinner, wanted me to see his room apartment. And so he apologized. And the apologies were kind of strange. Like, didn't apologize for what he did. He was just apologizing for the city situation and um and you know he would always surprise me with this small bottle of um louis trey very expensive bottle but they sell these little mini ones and he's like oh i got this for you like a few hundred dollars down the drain um but he at that point he started bringing up you know like marriage having a baby and buying another home and there my desire to be successful and eventually moved back to Europe, which is, you know, what I wanted to do. And did a lot of this future faking. Um, and this was kind of, you know, this is where he really started to lay it on, I guess. And he did it when he felt like the attention was drawing away from him. And I can see that now. Um, it was something he used to real he used to reel me back in. So I have those glassy eyes like a high. And I would dismiss everything else because I was so high, all the attention would be directed right back to him. And I can no longer focus on school or work. Um, and he did, he started becoming very jealous uh, whenever we went anywhere, anywhere. Um, there was always someone who complimented me, like my hair style or my uniqueness or something like that. And he always made it a point to bring that to my attention. Like I was looking for that attention. He didn't like that. So after a while, he would start cracking jokes on little things that people compliment, complimented me on. You know, he would always sneak in a backhanded comment, especially like days where like I really felt good about myself or something, whether I was having an awesome hair day or I was killing it at school or work, and I tell him about it, he would reply with something like that curly lion king hair or you know, but the computer stuff isn't math, but you need to work on your, your math skills. Know that, right? And then immediately, like when I would notice, like, what? You would immediately follow, follow that up with, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm kidding. Or, you know, and so after a while, I eventually didn't really have any more filtered days about myself, you know? And after a while, when he did say these things, um, on a regular basis, I would, you know, I would call him out on it. Like that was kind of rude. And 
And he would immediately reply with that whole thing, like, I'm kidding, I'm joking. But it, it took a toll on me, and it began to break me down. And I became very self-conscious. Um, whenever I was, like I said, I was excelling at work or in my classes, getting recognition, he would just take those little jabs at me, and just he would come come at me with these little backhanded comments, sarcastically call me superstar, or hint that I wouldn't be able to handle the higher courses. And um, so at one point, I ended up in this commercial for community college uh, right before I uh, graduated and got my first degree. And I initially thought it was going to be an interview, like a pen and paper. That's what I was like, led to believe. But it turned out to be this full-blown, like, commercial with makeup ladies doing my makeup standing in front of me. And, you know, like, we had to do three takes, five takes, and stuff like that. And and it turns out it was, like, one of the commercials that Hulu used. And it was seen, like, all the way to the East Coast. And um, and I was, I was blown away. I was like, oh, my God. Um, but he hated it. Um, he would roll his eyes. He just didn't like that the attention wasn't on him. If I was kicking ass and taking names and just excelling at everything, he would conveniently have a major breakdown at times. Um, he'd be in bed for like a week. He would miss work. I fell further behind in school. He wouldn't let me do homework in peace. Uh, I was always working just to keep him pacified. So he, in that aspect, he was a, he was the demand man. He, everything had to be about him. And yeah, he would suddenly, conveniently have these breakdowns. So he, because he was, you know, he had an education. He thought he was better. Uh, he thought he even better. And anytime anybody tried to express an opinion, somehow, some way, they were wrong. And did they have that the education that he did? And if they didn't, then they were wrong. And he was right. And he used that during fights that he started. He started to be more accusatory. He started accusing me like, I mean, I'm talking out of left field. He would just talk about how I was cheating on him because we didn't hang out the night before something. He accused me of hacking into his phone and his account. It never even crossed my mind to do. And and he did it. He started doing it so much that it started to make me question what and where like all that came from. And, you know, he was always really smug about it, like, He's like, I, you know, you think I don't know what you do? Like, what do I do? Like, I work full time. So it's like, I don't have time to, I barely have time to sleep, you know? So at this point of the relationship, you had that full year of sunshines and rainbows. And, you know, first year you start off with a physical abuse situation and then you know, you have jealousy that occurs. You're getting these backhanded compliments uh, at this time as well. There is some financial abuse kind of going on here because, you know, he's having these breakdowns. So those breakdowns are causing you to uh, miss work because you have to take care of him in a lot of ways. And you know, he's nitpicking at you. You have like a lot of these put downs going on. So, and then he's making up these lies and he's accusing you of things. 
So the person that you met and the person you fell in love with is now not the same person anymore. And you are, you know, watching these behaviors, you're observing everything. And because of the fact of the love bombing doing a really good job, you know, you're knee deep in it. So how are you feeling at this point? What are you thinking? Are you thinking like, who is this person? I don't know this person anymore. Like, or are you thinking things could change? Oh, yeah. All of that was going on. Like, at this point, I'm becoming more and more confused. I'm not feeling on top of the world like I was before. I'm beginning to doubt myself. I'm beginning to question things. I'm beginning to, I'm very not here in my own anymore and what it was is like I wanted to try to get that person back that's what it was like I want to get that person back I know he can be this way so I want to try to get that back and you hang on to that and you think uh we can we can make this better we can work on it you know I've not not everything's gonna be um rainbows and sunshine all the time there's gonna be these hard these hard spots where I've got to stick with them. And then coming from a Hispanic background, you know, you're taught to stick by your partner through thick and thin, through hell and high water, you know, and make it through those rough times. So, you know, that's what I was brought up to believe. And that's what I was going to do. And I loved this person. I was already invested and I wanted to get that person back. So the beginning of the end of your relationship starts to take hold with a series of fights that turn into breakups. So walk us through this. I think it was uh, probably after just like a few days after Valentine's Day in 2022, first time we split, um, we got into this huge argument because I had started calling him out on his behavior and we had had a discussion a few weeks prior and I had tried to sit him down and saying, hey, look, what you're doing here, like, this is not right. This is, this is breaking me down. This is not right. You need to know what you're doing because this isn't right. And it's hurting me. It's abusive. You're telling me that I'm abusive, but yet you're doing all of this. And it was so hard to get him to realize, so hard to get him to understand that. Because he didn't think he did anything wrong. It didn't apply to him. And I remember I, you know, I got into that point where like kind of broke down a little bit, put on the waterworks and I'll do better. I'll start going for treatment at the VA. I will, um, I will, you know, I'll read these self-help books or whatever. And he, and he did. For a couple of weeks. So the cycle ends there only for it to actually just restart. And eventually you find yourself in an argument where he accuses you of cheating and things escalate from there. So walk us through this. He, I remember him sitting there in his apartment and he got so mad. His face was like, so distorted. He turned around and he looked at me and he yelled at me. He said specifically verbatim, like, this is, I will remember it. Seriously. 
He said, what you think and feel is not reality. And it just blew me away and like tearing the thing down my face. And I was just like, it just, it was a shock to hear somebody say that, to invalidate so much. Like I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of emotional about it right now because I don't know if I've ever really dealt with it, but to have somebody invalidate you that much, you know, the hurt that you're going through and the mess that your head is becoming, it's um, really hurtful. So at that point, this was the second time he choked me out. Um, and again, he, he had tried to bait me into a fight and, you know, try to push him away because he's in my face, you know, that, and that's, like I said before, that's his cue, like it's on. So this was the second time he poked me out. I was face down on his bed, looking out the huge window. And I remember my lip being busted. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but. There was this empty glass on his bed. And I remember, again, blackness, blackness. I, my, my bed started to go black, and I'm like, I'm not going to let him choke me out till I pass out because I don't know what he's going to do to me. Like, I don't know this person anymore, so I don't know what he's going to do to me. And so I grabbed the glass. You know, he, he caught my hand, grabbed the glass out of my right hand, and swung it downward and threw it on the floor. And it was a bare floor and it shattered. Something, I don't know what happened, but it made him stop. And he got off of me and I just kind of laid there for a minute. I was crying and I started walking towards the, the door behind me. And he just, just wanted to keep going. And I'm like, what the hell? And, and I remember, I remember standing there and he looked at me and he swung and I kind of seen it coming. So I backed up a couple of inches. He still hit me in the throat. He punched me in the throat. And I looked at him. I was like, are you trying to fucking kill me? And without hesitation, he said, I will. And I remember just walking out of his apartment. And so I didn't talk to him for like six weeks. And I remember during those six weeks, my best friend, she was adamant about trying to push me to move on. So she convinced me to let her open up these, you know, like two or three dating profiles for me. And I was like, whatever, whatever. So she set him up, gave me the passwords, did everything. And I waited in about a month and log into one of them. I took one look at one of the messages and I was like, I can't do this. I can't, you know, I can't do this. I felt like I was cheating on him. And it was just, I was so hurt by it during these six weeks. Anything and everything made me think of him. And it was just, it was bad. It was bad. Um, he ended up, he called me through, I think it was Google Me on one of my, my emails. And he begged and cried and apologized. Um, and he said he would seek help. And so to me, I, I took him back, you know, um, and my head at this point was still reeling. 
you know, I couldn't do anything right. You know, I was, you know, I had had that in my head that I was the fuck up, you know, and if I felt good, uh, he would still continue to have these breakdowns and I couldn't get my my footing in a solid spot. And I made excuses for him and I don't, I don't know why. Um, but at this point I had, a, I had mentioned the abuse to my mother and my kids and immediately they cut him off. So at that point, um, I didn't let him come to my house anymore. I would end up going to his apartment quite a bit. Sometimes I would stay the night after I took him back. I began to, um, I began to really question everything because at that point during those six weeks that we were split up, I began, I don't know what prompted me to do, to do it, but I began to read and research about, um, narcissists. And it was just amazing because everything, um, really began to hit home because I had experienced everything. Um, if there was a checklist, I checked. I checked every single box uh, a couple times over. So coming back into the relationship, I was, the veil was beginning to lift. So eventually one day you two are at his apartment and you had been suspecting for a while that he was cheating. So on this occasion, you asked to see his phone. So walk us through this. I said, can I see your phone? You told me I could, whenever I wanted, I could take a look at your phone if I, if I thought I needed to. He pauses, scratches his head, gets his phone off the charger, and drops it on the counter in front of me. And he says, go ahead. I said, well, you have to unlock it, silly. So he unlocks his phone. And at this point, he's like, kind of sweating. So I sit there at the counter, you know, in his little kitchen area. And I'm like, okay. So I begin to open up all these apps on his phone. And anything I can think of. And he finished up putting the groceries away and he went over and he started playing his stupid video game. And in about 15 to 20 minutes, uh, I found several Reddit accounts that I had no clue about. And a lot of, and most of those accounts were all types of gone wild online sex communities. He had joined local Arizona gone wild sex communities. Several conversations with women seeking sex, uh, some of which he called by the same name he called me. Several email accounts that I never knew about. I found some in other men's names. Um, I found conversations with many women looking for sex, some bashing me. Poor him. Same thing. Poor him. Um, pictures, pictures of naked women. There was a conversation with a woman that I had never heard of that he openly flirted with, he portrayed me to be a horrible monster. Uh, her telling him that he needs to leave me already, that, that he needs to duck my sorry ass, and telling her about, you know, the size of his dick and sprawling and sprawling and sprawling and finding so much crap. Um, so all this was happening so fast, and it was just, all of a sudden it was like coming together and like, like the Tesseract, you know, or like a Rubik's Cube or... Um, like a like a puzzle coming together and I could feel his evil stare burning like burning through my head every few minutes and I'm just like oh yeah this is it this is it like I could 
feel the heat rising inside of me, like to the point where like your ears are hot. Um, and the smartest thing, I didn't react. Um, I found all those skeletons and I remember thinking, you need to get out. You need to get the fuck out. You need to go. Don't do some stupid shit. You need to get out now. Never look back. Someone will probably end up dead and know that might be you. So I just kind of kept my poker face and I was like, run, run. So I closed out every single app that I had open. I closed out every single window. And um, so I got dressed. I put my shoes on. I put my hat on. I grabbed my backpack. I had all my stuff. I walked out the front door without one word. And without a tear, I turned to go down the hall to the elevator. And I could see him out of the corner of my eye. And he was sitting in that stupid gaming chair. Chin resting on his fingers. He was pissed all to hell. So there I go, down seven floors and out the automatic back doors. And as soon as I walked out those sliding, uh, sliding doors, I felt this. Almost like a fresh breeze blow against me as I walked out into the sunlight. And it felt like the first sunlight that I could clearly remember experiencing in the last year, maybe two. Um, I got in my SUV and I drove home in complete calm and silence. And I got home. I put the speaker that I had at his house and my poster box that I was carrying. I set those down on the kitchen island. My backpack off and my two youngest kids, uh, my teenagers, they came down the stairs. And they greeted me. They're like, hey, mom, how was the work? How was work? How was, oh, what's in this box? Oh, I remember that speaker. And I just told them, I'm, I'm good, kids, you know, better than I've been for a while. And, you know, I carried on with my day. And conveniently, we did call all weekend, uh, not until Monday night. Um, I didn't answer it. Um, um, and then two to three weeks after I left him, that fog. And I know that's the only way I can describe it is like that fog began to lift, you know, and I thought that was going to be the end of it. I really didn't. I thought, what a perfect way to leave them, like not say a word. So about a week after I left him, a week and a half, um, I get a phone call. I was in the middle of a virtual math class at home in my home office, and I get this. I get numerous calls from my my uh, cousin's wife, and I was like, "Oh, something must be wrong." So I asked her, "I was like, hey, you know, is everything okay?" She's like, "Yeah, are you okay?" Fine, I'm in the middle of a math class. Are you guys okay? Are you and the girls okay? Like, yeah. I was like, "Well, I'm I'm in the middle of a math class, and if I don't pay attention, I'm gonna suffer." And she's like, "Okay, well, call me back." So I called her back when the class was done. And she said that my now ex had messaged her. Her husband, my cousin, turns out he messaged a few of my good friends through Facebook Messenger, sending them pictures of his apartment. Totally tracked. Totally tracked. Um, and he had told them that, that I had gotten in a fight with him, that I broke his nose, and that I trashed his apartment. I had hacked into all of all of his devices. 
So my cousin's wife is telling me this, and I'm like, dude, no, I haven't seen him for a week. She's like, what's going on? I said, well, kind of embarrassed to say anything, but I left him over a week ago, and I haven't seen or talked to him since. So that following morning, he was trying to comment all over my Facebook about who knows what. I just would immediately delete him. I started blocking him on everything. He sent me city emails, um, calling me trash, um, talking about how he needed to get an STD test because I had cheated on him. Um, and he accused me of hacking into his devices, which none of that ever happened. And it just, like, escalated from there. And after that, he stopped me. Um, he cyber-stalked me. He physically stalked me for the next 10 months. But I've had to file for identity theft twice. I've had to lock my credit, lock my kid's credit. I have spotted him around my house. I had to take two semesters off of school. Um, I've had to change my phone number twice. I've replaced my phone three times, repaired several laptops, kids' laptops, replaced my kids' phones, replaced two internet routers, and now I carry a gun everywhere I go. I'm sorry, I just told myself that I, what, I, love it. I would try not to get so emotional. It was really draining. But the only thing that I could think was, he wants a reaction out of this. He wants a reaction. He wants control. He wants me to do something. It's, it's taken a lot of discipline, but I, um, I haven't reacted. And I just kind of laugh it off like, wow, you know, you really want to know my life that much. You know, and the sad thing about it is that the laws have not caught up with the technology. So sometimes yeah, I felt like I was stuck in a rocket, between a rock and a hard place. And how's your healing process been? Um, I'm a lot better now. Um, I, uh, I've always been told that I was uh, good at writing. So... Part of the healing is writing, and I started blogging. Uh, you have to get it out. You have to get it out, whether it's writing or, you know, podcasts or talking to your friends and family or um, going to therapy. You have to go to therapy. Um, but if you don't get it out, even if it's just in your own private journal, it'll fester. It'll fester it inside you. And, you know, it helps to identify those feelings. And to put a name to those emotions, they, it kind of um, empowers you. And I've experienced this. I like I'm. I know I'm not the only one, you know. And I'm. I'm in the. I'm in the very start of um, brainstorming, like a community outreach. Um, I decided to start looking into this um, project. Um, do my community college that I graduated from. Um, it's in the formulating stages, but uh, I intend for it to educate and tie together tech, you know, being like cybersecurity and domestic violence survivors and shelters and law enforcement and educating them on these situations because 
it keeps the cycle of abuse going. And a lot of ways to do that, the way to do that is feedback. Um, and, you know, I have the knowledge of it, but for somebody who doesn't, they might not know how to escape that. And the laws haven't caught up with today's tech and it needs to. And, you know, I, I want to, I feel that I can heal more by helping others and bringing the awareness and, you know, a lot of self-care, a lot of self-care, tons of it. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would it be? I would say, trust your gut at the minute it starts getting bad like that. You have to walk away. And if you have to walk away without ever saying a word again, then walk away, you know, and learn to love yourself because you deserve to be loved. Well, Annapurna, I just really want to thank you today for being here, sharing your story. Sharing your story is not an easy thing to do. And just, you know, a really big hug for me and everyone who was listening to your story today. I know you're going to help a lot of people by sharing your story. So a really big thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. It really means a lot. Well, thank you once again, Annapurna, for being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest like Annapurna was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions. And either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also, at our website, we have our very own support group. So if you need support at our website, when you click on that support group button at NarcissistApocalypse.com, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you will find that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, every Thursday afternoon, and every Saturday night. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need and also to give other survivors just like you validation as well, advice, hugs, everything under the sun. It's a great group of people in our support group, so join our group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you've been going through. They have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. So please do visit them today. They are great people at DomesticShelters.org. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Annapurna... We hope you have a good night.